I want to start with a question. I want to start with a question. Have there, has there ever been a time or a season in your life where you've wondered, God, where are you? Yeah, I see some nodding of heads. Uh, even at home, I see some nodding of heads. There's been times probably in our lives where we've sort of wondered, God, where are you, right? Maybe it's in times of suffering, times of grieving, times of confusion, when life isn't making sense. Um, times like in our house this week where we've had cat issues, and I wasn't going to mention this, I'm not going to go into any stories, but maybe in a couple weeks we might be looking to send one of our cats to someone, so if you're looking for a cat, uh, please let me know. Um, No, my girls would kill me if we got rid of the cats. So anyways, but sometimes even in like chaos like that, chaos in your home, where life just feels disrupted, we might wonder, God, like, you know, what is up with this and where are you? It's not making sense. This morning we're uh, picking up in our series, uh, The Big Picture, which is uh, a series we're in for the fall. The Big Picture of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, looking at sort of God's story, his big story, the overarching story through Scripture as we go through different passages and books. And this morning we're going to be in Exodus. And Exodus really starts out with the people probably wondering, God, where are you? Uh, You feel really far from us right now. We're not sure that you're here with us. We're not sure that you hear our prayers. And the people in Exodus chapter 1 are suffering under the hand of the Egyptians, and they're sort of crying out, God, where are you? So we're going to look at Exodus this morning and uh, consider sort of the, the story of Exodus and how that relates to the big picture story of who God is as he's revealed throughout the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 6. It will be on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 2 to 9. And uh, this passage kind of serves as as a bit of a summary passage. I was really struggling this week because Exodus is 40 chapters long. And uh, I wasn't really sure, you know, we can't really read 40 chapters because we'd be here till tomorrow probably. Um, So this one passage I think sort of summarizes the story of Exodus, and we'll draw on this passage uh, for our time together this morning to kind of point out how God reveals himself through this narrative. So Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 2. God also said to Moses, so this is God speaking to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. So let me just pause there. He's referencing back to the story of Genesis, right? And the promise that he made with the patriarchs in Genesis. So the, the story from Genesis is picking up here in Exodus, okay? He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Let me just pause there again before I read the next verse. That really is the summary of the the book of Exodus. God rescuing his people with an outstretched arm, powerful miracles and demonstrations, and he leads them out, parts the Red Sea, they, they cross the sea, they become God's people, they're reunited. So they're rescued from Egypt, they're reunited with God, he reveals himself to them, and then he's going to continue to lead them to the promised land. That's basically the gist of Exodus. So God shares this with Moses, and then listen to this next verse. I kind of threw this in there because I think it maybe relates to a lot of us on a lot of days. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. The Israelites were suffering under the hand of the Egyptians. They were slaves. And Pharaoh, kind of this evil dictator with a hardened heart towards God, had no sensitivity for the Israelites, for God's people, and he kept asking more and more and more of them. And so when God speaks to Moses and says, I'm going to do all these amazing things, and Moses is excited, and he goes back to the people, and they say, we are not going to listen to you. We don't believe this. We don't believe what you're telling us. And they didn't believe because of their discouragement and the harsh labor. Some of us, when we go through times where we wonder where God is, we're discouraged by our situation. We're discouraged by our circumstances. Maybe we're overwhelmed with discouragement. And maybe we don't all suffer under harsh labor, although maybe that's part of it. But sometimes the circumstances of our lives seem very difficult, very challenging, and sometimes it's hard to see God in the midst of those times. So I put that verse in there because it's, it's in there. It's God's word. It's at the end of that passage that I really wanted to read. But when I read that verse, verse 9, I thought, you know what? As we start, as we dive into God's word this morning, I want us to pray into this reality that some of us might feel discouraged. Some of us might feel like God is distant. And in our discouragement, it might be hard to hear God speak this morning. It might be hard to experience him. It might be hard to see him and and see what he's up to. And so as we pray and invite God to speak from his word, let me just kind of pray into that last verse on our behalf. So Father God, creator of the universe, you are the God who speaks You are the God who's always at work. You speak even to discouraged hearts. And I pray for all of us this morning, whether we're discouraged or not, maybe we're full of joy and this is just, we want to receive from you this morning. But some of us might be feeling like life has been severely disrupted. And we need to hear from you. But that discouragement that we're feeling and walking in might cloud our vision of you. It might cloud our ability to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts and lives this morning. That you would reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways. That we would have a renewed hope in who you are as our creator God. The God who loves us and wants to have relationship with us. So help us to hear your voice as we look into your word this morning. Help us to receive what you have for each one of us personally and collectively. We invite you to lead and guide us and speak to our hearts wherever we're at. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So like I said, there is a lot in the book of Exodus that we could talk about. And uh, hopefully uh, I've been able to boil it down a little bit to the things that really we need to hear this morning. And as I've been praying through this, I'm, I'm trusting that God wants to speak to your heart through his word, through the book of Exodus. So we're going to look at God, you know, who God is in the story of Exodus. And this idea that he wants to be the God of the Israelites, he wants to be our God. He, he rescued us so that we could be reunited with him. So let's look at who God is and kind of how he works through Exodus, and then we'll come to some response questions of how we might respond to him this morning. So the first thing we see in Exodus is that our God is the God who rescued us. The story of Exodus, that word Exodus actually means like mass departure. And so the story of Exodus is God having his people depart Egypt on their way to the promised land. It's, it's a mass exodus out of Egypt. And so our God is a God who rescued us. Exodus 6, verse 6, he says to Moses, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. If you were to read through chapters 1 to 15, that's really the rescue story. As I mentioned in chapter 1, the Israelites are suffering under harsh uh, conditions, harsh labor. They're slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh is sort of taking out you know, everything upon the Israelites, and he's afraid of them because they're multiplying, they're growing. God's blessing them, and so he's trying to sort of squash them so that they know who's boss and they're suffering under his hand. That's chapter 1. And then chapter 3, Moses and, and God have this interaction at a burning bush. And we're not going to get into that. Um, but Moses is given this promise from God that God wants to lead his people. And he's going to use Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And through the summer, we actually heard a few messages from Exodus. And I would encourage you to go back if you missed those, um, because we heard sermons on the plagues, where God, with this outstretched arm, performed mighty deeds, you know, these plagues that were unleashed on Egypt to try to soften Pharaoh's hardened heart. And uh, we heard a sermon on the Passover, which was the final plague, right? The angel of death was going to come through Egypt but for the Israelites, they were instructed to slaughter a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. And for every family that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home, when the angel of death came through Egypt, it would pass over or pass by their house and they would be saved. And Bill preached a sermon on that in, uh, in August, encouraging us that that Passover practice, that Passover, the, the plague and, and the Passover activity of God is a foretelling of Jesus as the ultimate Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That his blood shed over our lives means that the angel of death passes over us. And so you could go back and listen to those sermons. Like I said, there's lots in Exodus 1 to 15, the story of this amazing rescue. God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. The final sort of big act was, you know, the parting of the Red Sea. The Israelites are leaving Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and they know that Pharaoh and his army are chasing them, and they're not sure where to go. And Moses sticks his staff in the sea, and it parts, and they walk through. And as they're passing through, it crashes down on the Egyptians and swallows them up, and God delivers them, and they're now on their way 
to the promised land. So that's the rescue story in Exodus. And as I mentioned already, it kind of points to the big picture. The big picture story of the Bible is that ultimately God has a rescue plan for all of us. Not just the Israelites who are suffering in Egypt, but all of us are slaves. All of us are enslaved to sin. All of us are in bondage and oppression. We're enslaved ourselves personally. We're enslaved in the world we live in, the kingdom of darkness. And so Egypt is kind of like a a foretelling or a foreshadowing of life in 2020, that we need a rescue as well. And Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, to rescue us, to deliver us from uh, slavery to sin, to deliver us from the systems of sin in our world. And we could talk about some of the sort of political hot buttons these days. Those are all issues that drill down to the, the root of sin in our lives and in the world. And God came to rescue us from it. So as we consider the big picture of the Bible, if Jesus is our rescue, or if Jesus is God's rescue plan, a question for us to consider would be, have you received Jesus? Have you been delivered? Have you been rescued? Hopefully, you would answer yes to that question, and we can kind of move on. And if not, maybe you need to pause and just consider, am I in need of rescue? In the circumstances of my life, in the, the things I see within myself, do I need to be rescued from those things? Jesus is our rescue. Have you received him? The story of Exodus doesn't end there, and I think much of Exodus is known for those first 15 chapters, uh, apart from maybe when the Ten Commandments come in chapter 19 or 20 around there. Um, but most of what we know of Exodus is Moses, the burning bush, you know, the plagues, the going through the Red Sea and all of that. But the story doesn't end there. God rescues his people, but he rescues them so that he, he can be reunited with them. And for many of us who could say, yeah, I've received Jesus, maybe what we need to hear this morning is what does it look like to be reunited with God? And that's where it goes next. So in Exodus 6, verse 7, as God's speaking to Moses, he says, I will take you as my people. So after I've delivered you, after I've rescued you, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the the Egyptians. God didn't just rescue the Israelites to sort of send them into the wilderness to go and do their own thing. God rescued them so that they would be his people. He would be their God. They would get to know him for who he is because chapter one, he seemed a little bit distant. God wanted to to draw near and, and reunite himself with his people. So what does this look like? Well, after uh, coming through the Red Sea, and I'll just kind of interject, a little bit of grumbling and complaining goes on from the Israelites. So they've just been delivered. This mighty rescue plan has taken, taken place. And, and then they start grumbling about food and water. We don't have anything to drink. We don't have anything to eat. Moses, we should go back to Egypt. And just kind of putting that out there, that sometimes uh, after God's rescued us, Egypt still looks really attractive. And for whatever reason, we're, we're, we're pulled. It's like we're drawn back. 
But then after they're grumbling and complaining and God says, you know what, I'll provide food and water for you, he calls Moses up onto a mountain, Mount Sinai, and for 40 days and 40 nights, God hovers over this mountain in the presence of a cloud. Moses draws near to him and spends time in his presence. And in God's presence, he unveils this covenant relationship that he wants to have with his people. And as part of that covenant relationship, so that's kind of like chapters 19 to 24, and then chapters 25 to 31, he talks about a tabernacle. And this tabernacle was meant to be a house. He asked Moses to build this house among the people so that he could actually come and dwell with them. Look at... uh, Chapter 29, verse 46, is kind of the heart behind this tabernacle. He says, They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God wants his people to know him. He wants to have relationship with them. He wants them to be his people. He wants to be their God. And he actually wants to dwell among them. And so he says to Moses, I want you to build this tabernacle so that I can literally live among my people. I don't want to just rescue you and send you off to do your own thing. I actually want to be your God. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to dwell among you. There's a contrast in Exodus chapter 1. As I've mentioned a couple times, there's this big question, God, where are you? You feel really far away, and in the midst of our slavery and in the midst of our suffering, we're not sure where you are. That's chapter 1. And if you read Exodus in one sitting, you know, all the way through, if you get to chapter 40, it's a stark contrast. Because in chapter 40, the tabernacle has been built. And what happens next is God's presence in the form of a cloud comes and hovers over the tabernacle, and it says that his presence fills the tabernacle. And God is now literally living with his people. So chapter 1, you're asking, where is God? Chapter 40, he's right in the middle of life with his people. That's God's desire for us. He wants to rescue us so that we can be reunited with him. And some of us, as we talked about earlier, might be wondering, God, where are you in the midst of life these days? I don't know about you, but the last six months of COVID have been like a lot of ups and downs. And but there's been a lot of times where I've been wondering, God, what are you doing right now? You know, and we come and we gather. For those of you who are here right now, you know, you come and you gather and we tell you you can't sing. And, and that's been a real, you know, that's been a form of your expression of worship and your relationship with God. And as you're standing there not singing, you might actually be wondering, God, where are you right now? Like, I, it just doesn't feel the same. The truth is, in the midst of our confusion, the midst of our suffering, the midst of the unknowns, our questions, God is actually right here with us. Even though we're not singing to him today, he's still right here with us. He longs to dwell with his people. John chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene, and I think it's verse 14. It says that Jesus came uh, as uh, God in flesh to dwell among us, to, and actually is to tabernacle among us. So if we sort of go back to the big picture of the, the Bible, the big picture story, in Exodus, God wants to tabernacle with his people. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes, John chapter 1, I want to dwell with my people, so I've actually put on human flesh And I've come to birth in this world to live among my people, to dwell with you. God's heart is to be with us. 
Jesus journeyed with his disciples for about three years, and towards the end of his time with his disciples, he started talking about future things. You know, in a little while, I'm going to die, and they're not really, you know, what? What are you talking about? You know, yeah, I'm going to die on a cross, and three days later, be resurrected. I'm going to come to life uh, and, and be resurrected. And then after that, I'm going to ascend to heaven, and I'm going to leave you guys all behind. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? But he says, don't worry, it's, for, it's all for good. I'm going to leave, I'm going to go and be with my Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and actually dwell within each and every one of you. So Acts chapter 2 shows up, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers, and they receive a filling of the Spirit. God dwells with them. God's heart is to be with his people. If you've received Jesus, his rescue, you know, over your life of bondage and sin, if you've left Egypt and you've come through the Red Sea, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You are a child of God. God is closer to you than you could ever imagine, even when he feels really far away. He is right here in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. Cat chaos in your home or whatever it is, Jesus is there with you. God longs to be with his people He is with us. As followers of Jesus, he is with us. I want to quickly look at Moses, who's a bit of an example of what this looks like to be with God, to walk in the presence of God, to have God dwell with you, because Moses, through the story of Exodus, kind of lives this out as an example for us. And we can't look in great detail at his life, but chapter 3, God shows up in a burning bush and calls out to Moses, begins talking to him. Hello, what's going on? That bush is on fire and it's speaking to me and God shows up and meets with Moses in this powerful way. And then, you know, after the the great rescue plan, God invites Moses up on a mountain and spends 40 days and 40 nights with him. I know there's a few hikers in the church body here and I know there's one sitting over there that, you know, to go out and be on a mountain by yourself in a tent, you know, that's just awesome. 40 days of that, 40 days in the presence of God on top of a mountain. How spectacular. Moses knew what it, looked, what it was like to be in the presence of God. Listen to these words from Exodus 33 and it's this idea of a, a meeting place that Moses had with the Lord. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses knew what it was like to be in the presence of God, to meet with God on a personal level. Moses knew that he needed God's presence. He also knew that God's people needed his presence. Look at these verses in, uh, continuing on in Exodus 33. The Lord is speaking to Moses, and the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't even send us up from here. 
How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and the presence of Jesus does not go with you, what difference does that make to the world that's looking at us, looking for answers, looking for what our experience with God is all about? If his presence doesn't go with us, what difference does it make? God's desire is to be present with us, and his presence is what makes the difference in the world around us, a world that is maybe intentionally or unintentionally looking for God. They need to know that he's present with us. They need to see his presence in us. And that presence can have a transforming power. Let me just read a few more verses. Exodus 34, um, just a few verses out of Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The presence of God had a transformative effect on Moses' life. Literally, his face began to glow because he had spent time in the presence of God. If you've received Jesus, you've been rescued, and God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, and he can actually transform your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. God's doing a transformative work in your life. Your, fi- your face may not glow, but your life will probably look different as he is at work within you. In the book of Acts, the disciples, after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I think it's Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are out speaking boldly in Jesus' name, and, and uh, some of the people who are not too happy with them, they look at Peter and John and they say, those are unschooled, ordinary men. What is different about them? And then it was like, oh yeah, they've spent time with Jesus. The disciples' lives were transformed. They used to be cowardly. Peter, you know, denied knowing Jesus when Jesus was on trial. But after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke boldly in Jesus' name because the Holy Spirit was doing a transforming work in his life. This unschooled, ordinary person had the power of God by the presence of God manifest through him. That's the kind of work that God can do in us. So on this side of the cross, Exodus reminds us that we've been rescued by God through Jesus Christ so that he can dwell with us by the Holy Spirit and we can experience the fullness of life that is found in relationship with him. So as you look at your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, when you talk about your relationship with God, if somebody was to say, tell me your story, do you go back to a point in time where you receive Jesus and that's where the story ends? Or are you able to tell the ongoing work of what God's doing in your life because you've not just been rescued, but you've been reunited and you're walking with him and your life is being changed by him and people are seeing the glow on your face 
as you're transformed. God wants to be with us. Last thing we're going to look at here really quickly is that God leads us. Exodus 6, verse 8. He says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So after the Lord rescued his people and promised to be with them, this idea that I want you to be my people, I want to be your God, he says, I'm not going to leave you there. We're going to go to the promised land. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to lead you there. And in Exodus chapter 40, after the tabernacle was built and God's presence filled the tabernacle, Moses was instructed that whenever the presence lifted in the form of a cloud by day or fire by night, whenever the presence lifted, they were to pack up the tabernacle, they were to follow the presence to wherever the presence rested, and then where God's presence rested, build that tabernacle, let him fill it again, let's camp around him, spend some time here. God led his people They were to follow his lead. Jesus, in the New Testament, when he called disciples to himself, the invitation he gave was, come and follow me. He told fishermen, leave your nets behind. I'm going to turn you into fishers of men. Come follow me. He told tax collectors, leave your career behind. Leave the booth. Come up and follow me. And the disciples learned to watch Jesus and pay attention to him and observe him and imitate him. And in Acts, after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came, they they learned to listen to his voice and follow his lead. Our God is the God who rescues us. He wants to be with us. And he wants to lead us. So the final question to consider this morning is, is this God of Exodus, is this God of the Bible, is he your God? Is he your God? The God of Exodus is the God of creation, the one true God. He's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we've looked at him, as he's revealed himself today, he's the God who rescues. He's the God who dwells with us. He's the God who leads us. I want us to uh, shift to the Lord's table in kind of response here. And I'm going to ask a few questions kind of as we consider the table and how it connects. As we consider this idea that God rescues us, the table represents his ultimate rescue plan, right? Exodus points ahead to Jesus. We have a bread or a wafer here. We have a cup of juice. The bread represents Jesus' body, which was given for us. The juice represents his blood, which was shed for us. And these elements remind us of God's rescue plan. Jesus came, his shed blood... If we've received him, we've been freed from sin. We've been freed from the consequences of sin, the, the weight of sin. We've been freed from uh, the, the systems of sin. We've been rescued. So the question is, will you receive him? As we take in a moment, think about that. Maybe you received Jesus at one point in your life, and today is just a day to renew that. I receive you. Jesus, I receive you. God, I received this rescue plan. The second thing we see at the table is that we're going to ingest these elements. We're going to eat them. And it's a symbolic way of saying, Jesus, I want to feed on you. And it's a reminder that it, he is present with us. He dwells with us. And as we take these elements and digest them and ingest them, It's like we're feasting on Jesus. John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you want to come and follow me, you need to feed on me. We need to feed on Jesus. And so the table reminds us of that today. 
So will you, will you feed on him? Will you pursue him, his presence in your life? And then lastly, the table reminds us of the Jesus way, self-sacrificing love. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life. And if we're going to follow his lead, we need to walk in his steps. And participating at the table reminds us that we are to live lives of self-sacrificing love towards others. And so that might be a third response. Are you willing to follow Jesus' lead in loving the people around you the way he loves us? So if you've got the elements there with you, I invite you to take the bread And on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took this uh, with his disciples. And he said, this bread represents my body for you. Take in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And then after the bread, Jesus took the cup. And he says, this cup is a covenant of my blood which was shed for you for forgiveness of sin. So let's take the cup and be reminded that we are forgiven through Jesus. Let's take it together. Let me just pray in response and invite the worship team to come up. We'll sing, sing one last song. Why don't we stand for those of you in the room with us here? Let's stand. Let me pray. Jesus... We thank you that uh, everything we need is in you. You are our rescue. It's in you that we can experience the presence of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And because we've been rescued by you, we know that you want to have relationship, ongoing relationship with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives. We want to follow your lead and as we take at the table today, we're, just, we're reminded of these things, that we are a forgiven people. We've been set free. We've joined the family of God. We are different because you dwell within us. And as we feast on you this morning, we, we invite you to, to feed us, continue to sustain us, and give us everything we need. And help us to walk in your ways this day and in the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.